Alright, we're live! Hello, it's Stefan Waller of Freedom Made Radio, I hope you're doing well. I am here with the great and semi-shaven Bobby Casey, <laughs> who is uh, running this great conference here in Belize, globalescapehatch.com, and uh, thanks again for the invitation. We're going to have a little chat about expatriation, the weirdness of history, and how much things have changed, and people, right. you know, there's this great scene in 1984 where the Winston Smith goes into this bar, and he tries to find some old guy who remembers what life was like before the revolution, and he can't. Because they're all so old, they can't really remember now anymore. And I think right. people have forgotten just how weird things have gotten over the last, what, 100 years ago? No passport, no visas, no um, work permits, no green cards. You could just go someplace and go work there and then come back if you wanted. Uh, and it's weird. As, as travel has gotten easier, travel has become more restricted. In some ways, I almost envy just take you know a steamship across and go do whatever you want in the right. 18th century. Um, and so I think what's what's happened to me at least is you sort of think you feel like you've got this electronic dog collar on called paperwork you know and if you've got to go oh, it's so much a hassle to go and get all the other paperwork and all that kind of stuff second passport or but you know, opening a bank account is real easy in another country and as you pointed out in your talk yesterday who goes to their bank anymore it doesn't really matter where it is in the world right so what are your thoughts about how difficult it is how easy it is how necessary it is to get yourself some legs uh, and stretch beyond your borders well so I'll start off two things. One, um, I mean, as you know, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, more or less anarchist, and that's why I don't shave. I'm rebelling against the razor. <laughs> so that that is that is my rebellion. Right. <laughs> that's that, right. that's how I push. You're on the, the non-cutting edge of social thinking. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> so anyway, and I um, also want to thank you for having me on your show, and even more importantly, thanks for coming and speaking at our conference. Oh, it's my pleasure. So look, looking I meet some to really, I mean, just great people here to chat with. We've got a pretty eclectic mix here. We got some really cool speakers, and honestly, we got some really great attendees as well. Um, some of these attendees are doing some unbelievable things. So. I've not had. I'm like allergic to small talk, and I have not had one dull conversation since I got here. And I hugely appreciate that. Right, that's great. <laughs> well, I, I, no sports, I, no weather, it. no not even much politics. Mostly just great ideas. Oh, I, I love talking about politics, but just because I hate it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just a rant on how to overcome that uh, that parasitic influence on our life. Yeah. So anyway, you're you're. Now I had too much of an intro. Your, your question was... Oh, yeah, was, just around um, people's inertia about their borders <clears throat> and this feeling that right. it's just, oh, it takes years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a second passport and, uh, you know, it's too much of a hassle and my friends are all here and all that. And now Doug Casey's talking about some of that sort of stuff, but I know you've got some good perspectives on that as well. Right. Yeah, it's a weird situation, right? We were just discussing um, passports didn't even exist till about 100 years ago, and it's it's... If the state weren't trying to own us, right? I mean, it's almost like your um, your your title, your deed, right? Your birth certificate, and your passport's like your deed, yeah, to the to the state. And so, a hundred years ago, we didn't need we didn't need a passport to travel. Right? We just jumped on a boat and we went where we wanted to go. We wanted to do work. You and I were conducting business. Let's say 150 years ago. You know, I'm doing something for you, you pay me in whatever method that is. Maybe we barter, maybe you pay me with silver coin or gold coin specie. Um, and that's the way it worked. Now, the, the world has evolved. I mean, we've become, I mean, the whole world has become a, one giant state. We have little pockets of states, right? Mm. <laughs> but it's just, it's more or less we're one big state. And you, you mentioned 1984, quite possibly 
the scariest book ever written. <laughs> I wish it was just a. Fi- I wish it was still in the fiction department. Yeah. Right. Right. Now. Now. It, now it's moved into the documentary That's section. Right. <laughs> almost. Almost to history. Almost. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's. Uh, 1984 is a scary situation. So you mentioned the guy from 1984 yeah, who can't remember, right? Yeah, he goes to this bar and says, <clears throat> what was life before the revolution? Because all they get is propaganda about what life was like before the revolution. And it's the same thing we have now. What was life <clears throat> like without passports? And they say, well, they were robber barons, and they stole everything from you, and they were evil capitalists who made you work in the salt mines of Kessel 14 hours a day. And they have all these stories about the Wild West, and there were gunslingers out there shooting everyone up, and... I mean, the level of propaganda people have about the 19th century is really quite depressing, when it was, in fact, the century with the longest, longest period of, of Western European peace, 100 years. End of the Napoleonic Wars, 1815, started World War II, <clears throat> World War I, 1914, 100 years of peace, unprecedented, tripling of the standard of living, increase in the amount of calories that the workers got by two or three times, massive falls in infant mortality, in, in, in huge increase in lifespan. Incredible, never before seen renaissance of an improvement in the human condition, and all we ever hear about is all the you know, like there were nothing but pirates running the world and all. It's just terrible. Well, you know, I mean, the the Wild West movies, right? The old Western movies, they they they, they do a good job of making us think it was just a, <laughs> a gunslinging a gunslinging country. But until the sheriff and the government came by, and then right. order was restored, <laughs> and like. Thieves, they don't go to the frontier. I've never understood. Even when I was a kid, I'm like, if you're a thief, you want to stay in the city. You don't right. go well, to some frontier town. That's where, you, that's where you find your money, right? Yeah. You, who are you going to steal from in the frontier? A farmer? Are you <laughs> going to steal his horses? Goat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. And plus their arms. Yeah, you're going to steal a farmer's horses? <laughs> good luck yeah. with that, yeah, brother. Yeah, you know. But uh, early 19th <coughs> century, early mid-19th century, West Western U.S., I mean, if you look at that, if you really study, I've read some research reports on that, it's actually... One of the most economically productive times in history, yeah. and there was virtually no state. Sure, there was little towns, maybe had a sheriff, but the sheriff had really no power. I mean, he was there more or less to uphold property rights and enforce any violent action. So, yeah, if there was disputes <clears throat> about claims and and all of that, new like the new land people got, if there were overlaps, he'd deal with that, but. I mean, that other could have been other than that, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't do much. But he didn't. He couldn't call for backup, really. <laughs> yeah, there was no backup for yeah. him to call. Right, there was no, there was no uh, hunting you down for uh, unpaid taxes. Right, right. I mean, there really weren't any taxes to to be hunted down for. Yeah. Um, but it's it's an interesting time. So you you know my business. We do um, asset protection and offshore planning. Um, basically, we we help people internationalize their life and internationalize the financial aspect of their life and quite frankly if if we didn't live in the world we lived in today there would be absolutely no need for mm. what i do i mean not i say i wouldn't be in this i wouldn't be in this business i mean I'm you'd on, probably be in diversification because people would want geographically dispersed investments just you know in case it's weather related like stuff massive storms and wreck some economy somewhere you just yeah. want to be diversified from that standpoint and also, of course, I mean, even in a free society, there'll be different pockets of intellectual activity, and you know, someone's going to have a great idea over here, and if you're all invested <coughs> over here, so I think there'd be some geographical dispersion, but there wouldn't be all of this protect yourself from the you know hooks well, of the state coming to rip into your fortunes. Yeah, well, you wouldn't. You know, we talk a lot about getting second passports and that sort of thing because nowadays it's a second passport's an insurance policy. I mean, you're Canadian, I'm American, but 
as an American, it's not as big of a deal for you, but it won't be long. I mean, Canada pretty much kind of follows that path. Now, I'm lucky enough to have an EEC passport, right. so I'm okay. Yeah, for you that. have an yeah. Irish passport too, right? So yeah. I mean, you're 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 dual citizen, and yep. and uh, that Irish passport is a great great travel document. It gives you free access to the 27 member states yeah. anytime you want. Uh, I guess or maybe 28. I can't remember if Croatia's signed yeah. on yet or not, but. Um, <clears throat> You know, we talk about these things, but really, the only reason we need this this document, which is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a funny thing because I, I, I would need this second passport to protect myself against the first state I'm enslaved to. Right. So I become enslaved to another state so I can play one state against the other, right? Yeah. I discussed this in my presentation, the hotel analogy, right? Mm. I'm staying in the Marriott, 200 bucks a night, great breakfast, great bedding, great shower, I'm very happy, 200 bucks a night. Well, now the Hyatt across the street says, we'll do everything the Marriott does for 150 bucks a night. I'm gonna pack my bags and move to the Hyatt. Well, it's it's this competitive environment. So now, <clears throat> we have to spread our slavery, let's call it. <laughs> yeah, you, you look for where the, the blows are least and try yeah, and get you're, there. You're, you, well, the government, you're, you're looking for the government that's the least intrusive in your life. So you're trying to, you know, and as mobility increases, as mobility increases, there is, as you mentioned, some competition to lower the the noose around your neck or to loosen it a little bit. Right. So you, I, I'm always surprised every time I come to these kinds of conferences because you pointed out it's almost forty percent corporate tax in in the U.S. Yeah, thirty thirty nine point well, something. Rate, right? Yeah, the top, top rate, right? yeah, the marginal top rate is thirty nine point six. Right, and and the the U.S. is winning, right? Because we're the number United one. States, we're number one in the world. Yay! And you know all these, all these idiots that on on TV and and in, in government are saying, "Well, okay, it's thirty nine point six, but you can do this and this and this." And nobody pays a an effective tax rate of thirty nine point six. You know, maybe not on their on that line item of tax, right? What about the other line items of tax? What about excise tax? What about import duties? What about um, well, and, and sales what about, tax? What about uh, yeah? And what about as you pointed out, when you're trying to choose a country to do business in, you're going to look at the tax rate. And if someone says, "Oh, don't worry, it's lower than that," you're like, "Well, how much is it going to cost me? And what risk am I putting myself more in for to expose my, to to get that tax rate down?" More importantly, to me, is your cost of compliance. Mm. So I own a company I sold, I guess, five years ago. We were a decent-sized company. I had uh, about 50 or 60 employees and about 900 contractors, 1099 right. contractors. And we spent, I estimated my office staff spent at least 30% of their time dealing with state compliance issues, state or federal. I mean, we did business in 40, 44, 45 states in the U.S. So we had 45 states plus the federal government. We had compliance issues to deal with, plus all the different agencies like OSHA and yeah. Uh, the insurance commission and you know we had patent office and all this crap that we had to deal with and it was it got to the point where I started thinking I, I, I can't even I can't even take the time to take care of my customer because I'm taking care of some stupid government office to prove to them that I'm taking care of my customer and <laughs> and what's even more terrifying is you absolutely do not know for sure that you're complying you well, never. I mean, you can certainly hire the yeah. best advice and all that, but there are so many regulations out there uh, I, that it, I think Tom Woods. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Wrote a book about this. That everything you do is illegal. 
you know, that we all, wickedly or not, you know, I mean, I mean, you certainly, everybody does their best who's in business, but you can never be 100% sure because there may be some regulation somewhere that someone just decides to spring on you and nobody knew about it. I mean, that's the alarming part as well. Well, it's absolutely true. I mean, I'm I'm 100% convinced, at least in the U.S., the U.S. tax code is designed to make 311 million criminals. Right. I'm absolutely convinced. I mean... It's it's impossible, <laughs> but as I forget the numbers now. You know them off the top of my head, but it's something like uh, what is it? The U.S. tax code has something like uh, sixteen million words mm. in the U.S. tax code. It's more than Shakespeare's life work. Oh yeah, much more. Yeah. Is is the U.S. tax code? And you take a country like Estonia, whose U.S. tax code is like forty thousand words. This is a 22% on everything you make over, what, 600 euros? Yeah, it's a 21% flat yeah. uh, flat uh, income tax flat, uh, on earned income. Sorry, 21% flat tax on earned income above 600 euros per month. They have no right. corporate tax. So if you had a company there earning a million euros a year, you, if you were the owner of the company, you pay yourself 100,000 euros salary, you would pay 21% of... Well, six hundred euros is seven thousand two hundred euros total for the year. So you'd pay twenty one percent of that what ninety ninety two thousand eight hundred euros yeah. per month of income you have. You have no corporate tax, so you wouldn't pay any corporate tax on the nine hundred thousand. Right. And Paul, uh, one of our other speakers, and I, he he knows the original prime minister of Estonia from you know when when the Soviet Union fell. And they were having a, a chat, and basically he said he, he didn't know anything about economics, and he said. Why do I need to know anything about economics? It's, it's just common sense stuff. We need the smallest possible government we could have to uh, run it in the most minimal way possible. Why do we, we, we don't want to copy the Western governments. Yeah. <clears throat> Look how they're doing. And this is 20 years ago. Yeah. And this is coming out of communism. Yeah. Well, see, what did he say about Milton Friedman? Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. I, <laughs> I like that bit, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, uh, he, he said, just. Let's just read Milton Friedman books and copy that. Let's just do that. Because they hate the the communists hated Milton Friedman, so right. whatever they hated has got to be pretty good. So let's thank do that. God they didn't hate Paul Krugman. <laughs> oh, God. Well, isn't it? I mean, it's one of these tragic ironies of history that the West poured trillions of dollars into fighting socialism and communism in the Eastern Bloc countries, and now economically they're far freer than the West. Yeah, you know, it's like well, let's it give one kidney, but not two. You know, now they got both kidneys, and we're on dialysis. It's well, tragic. that's 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 correct. I mean, that's one of the reasons I live in Eastern Europe. I mean, I you you know, I live in Latvia. Yep. And everybody says, like, why do you live in Latvia? Like, it's got to be a really rough place. And and I, I always joke, like, <clears throat> it is way safer there than even. And, and I lived in a not a small town, but a medium-sized town in North Carolina. I would never ever let my teenage daughter walk to the cinema at night at 10 o'clock at night in North Carolina right but in Riga I'm like yeah have a good night no problem <laughs> like n- I've never I've never even seen a bar fight right to go, go to a bar anywhere in the US or probably even Canada <clears throat> you're going it, it, it happens like, yeah I've, I've been there I've seen them all the time right? from a safe distance from yeah, a safe philosophical like, distance what are you guys <laughs> yeah. doing you know uh, let, let me sketch out of here but yeah. I've never even seen it you almost never see police you may I probably have told you this but like uh, their whole parking system their paid parking system in the city is privately run oh really their whole private it will except for government buildings but aside from that yeah. it's all privately managed uh, street parking you pay the meter and it's you know the guy runs it, it the, so the meter mate is actually works for a private company right 
in Riga. They almost everything is privately managed there. Wow. They have the, the things the, we can only dream of. Right, but everybody says, "Oh, how could you live there? It must be awful." <laughs> Good, you stay. Come here. see, yeah. yeah, you stay here. So, what's next for the conference circuit for you? <clears throat> um, you have something coming up in the fall, if that's right. Is that right? Uh, well, we do. My company, Global Escape Hatch, we do two. Con- well, that's our conference business. Um, yeah. We do two conferences a year. We'll do a, a spring and a fall. Well, so, you know, so we try to do them about six months apart. So we'll do one in September. Right. Um, Right now, I think we're going to do it in Panama. I, I think we're going to go go back. I'm to talking Panama. to one of your speakers this afternoon about investing in uh, Panamanian real estate. Ah, uh, I hope he's going to come with the hat. That's you know, that's I think that's just got to be the Panama hat. It's got to happen for the interview. What's that? You know, oh, the Panama oh, hat. Right, right, right. You talking about Brian? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll probably go back there. I mean, I speak at a lot of a lot of conferences. Anyway, I'm speaking at one and. In May and Antigua, and then actually I'm speaking at Freedom Fest. Oh, great! Okay, in July. Right, we'll see each other there then. So too. I'll I'll be there. Um, <clears throat> talking to Mark, he was talking about doing a uh, a uh, Escape from America panel with me and Jeff Berwick and Doug Casey. So <laughs> that would be good. Th- thought that would be kind of interesting to do. Um, so you know, I, I do a few conferences a year. I mean, I, we host two, right? Mm-hmm. And then then you go and speak at them, yeah. And the one in Panama, is it going to be globalescapehatch.com? Globalescapehatch.com, yeah. So right now, globalescapehatch.com, it's all information about this one. Yeah. So the speakers that are up there, the, the info page, the updates, all that stuff is about this one. <clears throat> Probably next week when things calm down a little bit, Steve and I, my business partner Steve, Steve and I will probably pull that stuff down and yeah. just... It'll be blank stuff, you know, like coming soon, info yep. coming soon, that sort of thing. And I just we wanted to, to mention, too, for, for people who are thinking of these kind of conferences, what I really like about your approach to conferences is it's very social. So you're not just going there, sitting, and then going home. Uh, right. So you're socializing, going out for drinks. Uh, Sunday, you've got the speakers available for people to have, you know, private conversations with, Correct. whatever they want to talk about. So it is a... Um, it's a consulting mall in a kind of way that you can go and get in information sense, yeah. that you need. So you're, it's not... You can't get it from any other medium because you, you know, even if this was recorded and put on YouTube, you could watch it. But, but that's really, to me, the essence of the conference is the conversations that you can have with people outside of the uh, the presentation. Presentation is right. great, but that's something that you know, if you're doing conferences, try that approach because it's really great. I think for people to get more personal information. Well, we have a couple of. Uh, for me, I don't know. I mean, this conference. So, so our core business, as you know, we do the asset protection, offshore planning. The website globalwealthprotection.com. That's our core business. Mm-hmm. So we help clients internationalize their financial life, and we use tools like um, trusts and foundations and offshore companies, bank accounts. We help them, you know, find the right investments that they're looking for. And the conference business grew from that because we've got a a pretty decent size following because we publish a free newsletter Mm -hmm. too. So if you're interested in newsletter, you guys can sign up on the Global Wealth Protection site. So we publish a free newsletter between me or Steve or Paul or Kelly or Adam or those guys. We write two to two to five articles per week, and we have a pretty big following of people that, you know, we we're, we're trying to educate people, right? We're trying to educate people on internationalization and how to achieve freedom through internationalization because in this state society we live in, you you we can fight it ideologically, but we still have to live in it. Yeah. Right, and so we have to live within the realm of reality at this point. And so the education piece, the conference business, grew from the desire to educate our 
followers mm. on these strategies. And like you said, it's so much better to get there and, you know, sit, we'll be sitting down at the beach in a couple hours having beers, chatting with our toes in the sand. <laughs> that beats the hell out of uh, having a Skype chat with me from, uh, you know, a thousand miles apart, yeah. right? So <clears throat> it's it's a very unique situation. But so I have a few, like, requirements, and the conference business evolved out of our desire to to help educate our readers and, and people that are really interested in these types of things. But also, I guess a lot of it came from my own core values that, as you can tell, I'm all, I'm very social. Mm -hmm. I'm very, uh, to me, the most important thing professionally and personally I had done my entire adult life is network with people smarter than me. <laughs> <Right>. <clears throat> my dad always told me, my dad was a very smart businessman, he always said, always hire people smarter than you and they'll help take care of your business, right? So. An extension of that is to network and do business and have friends that raise your level, right? Yeah. They pull you up. Why would I, I mean, what's the, I, I don't know if you saw, I wrote an article earlier this week. The uh, you're, you're the average of the five people, the five, your five most closest friends or five most closest associations. So right. if, if all your friends make 50 grand a year and they go on vacation at Disney World once a year for a week and they uh, go to work eight to five and watch Sports Center and mow the yard on the weekend, that's probably what you do, right? Right. I mean, that's going to be your life. But what? What if? What if your friends travel the world? What if they talk about interesting things? What if they're building hotels in Panama? What if they're? Mm. Um, what? What if they own an offshore bank in Belize? What if they have, uh, uh, um, you know, resilient community or sustainable communities in Chile? Yeah. That's a whole different sphere of influence you're you're surrounding yourself with, and so. The conference is the extension of my desire to associate and network with very interesting people, not just the speakers, but the attendees as well. And we build that conference around networking. We want great speakers, and I think we have great speakers. Um, <clears throat> but we don't want, like you said, we don't want the conference room to close at 5 o'clock and everybody scatter and go no. do their own thing. You know, or we scatter at four, right? Yeah. We scatter at four, but we can, we're back together at the bar at five, right. having cocktails. Today, we meet at five for drinks. We get on the boat dock right in front of the bar, which is cool as shit, right? Yeah, it really is. Like, we're literally walking from the bar down the boat dock, and we're getting on boats, going to um, a casino and having dinner at a pool. Yep. You, you can't beat that. And we're all going to be hanging out, talking business, talking life, having interesting conversations. So. Yep. And it, to me, uh, it's much better that way. It certainly helps keep me out of, <clears throat> I think most people have a tendency to just kind of fall into a bit of a rut. And if you socialize with people who are making very different choices than most people in the world, and I think very productive and positive choices, kind of kicks you out of the rut and reminds you of the possible. Like I had a guy, when I was doing the nine to five thing, when I was more of an entrepreneur, I, entrepreneur, I wish it was nine to five. But, um, right, yeah, please, a, entrepreneur. A guy I was working with, uh, <laughs> no, after I sold the company, I did some work, just regular old work. And a guy was like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to leave this job. I think I'm going to spend a couple of years, so I'm going to get a sailboat and go sail around the Caribbean for a couple of years. Because, you know, that, that would be fun for me. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, you know, I, I love being around people who make those kinds of choices. It helps reinforce your own broad-mindedness. It helps stokes your own courage for somehow overcoming all the stupid, petty obstacles that bureaucrats put in your way. And uh, so I think being around people like this is really, really important for that. So. 
Yeah. So thanks, Great. Bobby. I, of course, appreciate the invitation. Thank um, you, sir. I would point the camera uh, out the window in here in Belize, but it would make all my northern listeners just spontaneously <laughs> weep. So uh, all, all the Canadians would uh, they'd start deleting your podcast. Oh, yeah. No. That jerk. So, yeah, globalwealthprotection.com <laughs> and globalescapehatch.com. Yep. Uh, check this stuff out. It's really good. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks.